You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, welcome to the first off-season 2023 edition of the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. We appreciate you all tuning in. Alongside Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths. The 2022 season is over. And as a year, the the 2022 year from January to December has to be one of the worst years that you can remember in Indianapolis Colts history. Chap, I know there were some pretty poor ones in those early 90s, but to go from where they were at the start of 22 in January with two straight losses to end the season, and then with the high expectations they had at the start of the 2022 season, only to end it in such disastrous fashion, we'll get into a lot of uh, where to go from here um, in, in this podcast, but but I think we have to begin with with, with just how, how disappointing this last year has been for everybody inside the building, everyone who listens to us who's a fan of the Indianapolis Colts. It, it's just been one disaster after another that has led them to a really pre- precarious position, tip, picking rather, in the top five of the draft once again. Yeah, when anyone points out how bad the season was, I said, you know, I was, I was here for 1991 and 1-15 in when they scored like 140 points. But this is different but because, like you said, the the high expectations locally but, but nationally in Vegas. Remember, this this team was the slight favorite to win the division. So th- that's what makes this mess such a mess is that everyone had their, their sights set so high and you know, the Matt Ryan was going to be the guy that could finally stop the carousel for at least two years. And they had made the moves and the offensive line and Jonathan Taylor. That's what makes this so hard. They've won four of their last 19 games. They didn't beat Houston this year. I mean, for crying out loud. I mean, and they had two shots. So, yeah, th- this will rank as one of the all-timers. 1-15 is going to go a long way for me because of how bad it was. But when you pile on everything that went into this year, this will be top two or three all time. Well, we had general manager Chris Ballard addressing the media this week. We had interim head coach Jeff Saturday addressing the media this week. We'll get really into the nitty gritty of everything they had to say, but but it is fitting that we should uh, start, Joe, with uh, kind of wrapping up how the season came to a conclusion. As Mike just said, another loss or another not win, I guess, against the Houston Texans to, to go winless against the Houston Texans uh, th- this season with a uh, and, and and with the lead with a with a seven point lead uh, late in the fourth quarter and then you allow the Texans to drive down convert multiple fourth downs and uh, and score get the two point conversion and, and that's how that 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 is a just a it, it was a disheartening season and a disheartening end to everyone who who was hoping for positive results for the Colts. Yeah, I know a lot of people, myself included, were kind of rooting. For the loss, more worried about the draft pick. But for the players and coaches, it's got to be embarrassing to have Houston, um, who a lot of people consider the worst team in the league. I guess technically that'd be Chicago. But um, have Houston, I don't know, tie you and then beat you in that fashion, especially in your own home stadium. It's kind of one thing, season opener. Wonky things can happen early in the season. But at the end of like that, the fashion that they lost, um, it's got to be a tough one for those players out there, especially Rodney Thomas. I bet he's been thinking day after day if he just timed his jump a little differently. 
Uh, he could add the game-ending interception or knockdown. And Brodney led the Colts this year with four interceptions as a rookie, as a seventh-round pick. Heck, when he was taken, it almost seemed like a throwaway near the end of the draft because they'd already taken a safety earlier. And at that point, the Colts still had Kari Willis on the roster along with Julian Blackman. Uh, so, so I was like, why are they taking another safety? Rodney Thomas stepped in and had, had a tremendous year for a rookie seventh-round pick. Uh, but, but I will also say, chap, you, I, I, and I know that Rodney doesn't think this way, nor should he, but if he turns out to be the quote-unquote hero that missed that interception, that allowed the Bears to get the number one pick, maybe the Colts trade up to number one and get the quarterback of the future, then Rodney Thomas becomes the true savior of the Indianapolis Colts moving forward. His, his head's not right there yet. Can't, exactly. Can't, can't be. But no, you're right. I, I, I go back to like, in 97, when the Colts were beating the Minnesota Vikings with Jim Harbaugh, and they beat the heck out of him and, and win, and, and the Vikings win, and then out west, things happen. All of a sudden, the Colts have got the first pick because of things happening. So maybe they'll put Rodney Thomas in the ring of honor for delivering the first overall pick, and, you know. But you go back and look at that, and you mentioned, Joe mentioned it. Fourth and 12, fourth and 20, fourth and 20. And they convert, bo- convert both, and, and, and then they get the two-point conversion. That's how to end this season. I mean, how else? The Colts, Colts all the way to the end. And the the, 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 the silver lining is, again, is they're, they're fourth, and, and the Bears are first. The Bears only need a quarterback. So we'll see what the, the, the cost is to go up and get the first pick because – the Colts won't be the only only team interested in that first pick. Speaking of Rodney Thomas, I thought it'd be fitting since we discussed last week that very positive update on his good friend and uh, someone he considers his brother, Damar Hamlin, released from the hospital. Just got that news maybe a couple hours ago, so that's very encouraging uh, for his status. He seems to be making great strides in his recovery. Absolutely tremendous. Uh, thank you to uh, to everyone, all the the medical personnel on the field. The doctors at UC um, and, and and all the all the prayers that came in across the nation, across the world, all the thoughts from um, from from everyone who who sent them Rodney's way, uh, not Rodney's way, excuse me, Demar's way, um, and Rodney among the chief of them to 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 send his and and to be there personally. So um, that that's certainly a burden lifted off of Rodney's uh, off of Rodney's heart, off of so many of our hearts. Um, uh, the 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 recovery is just just beginning, uh, I think for for Demar, but. Uh, I, I'm so encouraged by how they've only taken steps forward, it seems. So that's awesome. Really awesome to see. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see more from, from DeMar uh, in the future. The 2022 Colts finished this season 4-12-1. They were 1-10 over their last 11 games. As Chap points out, they've won four games in their last 19. They've lost seven games in a row to end the season. Lost last seven games of the season for the first time since 1953, which was their inaugural season in the NFL. Joe, you have some great stats here. Second fewest points per game, 17. They have the worst turnover, the worst point differential in the league, 138. And I believe about 90 of those came after Jeff Saturday uh, joined on to be head coach uh, after the first nine games of the season. They had the most turnovers in the league with 34. They had the second most sacks allowed with 60. They were 30th in red zone scoring. They were last in red zone defense. You don't win games when your stats are that bad. And those are just those are some of the stats, Joe, that Joe, the, the coaches point to week to week 
uh, about like, hey, we were really good in red zone scoring. Hey, we were really good in turnovers. That's why we were able to win. When all of them come to a head like this at the end of the year, you know it was a disastrous season. Yeah, and you know, I probably could have guessed most of these. I was surprised by red zone defense just because the defense had been so good throughout the year. But I guess when a team got driving, they finished those drives on them. So uh, just all around situations in the game even before you know the blowouts towards the end of the season a lot of these games were somewhat close and it seemed to be those key situations red zones third downs where the Colts really just failed Uh, no other way to say it they just failed and those with the talent level of just about every team being so high in the NFL, those key situations are what separate the good teams from the bad teams yeah uh, chap I think a question that I remember I asked um Gus Bradley at the beginning of the season was uh, was somewhat about this, about like winning situations. You could still have a, a good defense if you win situations, but the Colts might have had a like they had a decent defense at times this year, especially in the first half of the year before things imploded under Jeff Saturday's watch down the stretch when they averaged giving up 10 more points per game than they did before he got there. But they were situ- situationally not good all year, and, and that's one reason why they finished 4-12-1 and one on the season. Yeah, and it's it's not an excuse. It's a reason, but the defense wore down. They simply wore down from carrying this team all season, and injuries piled up when you're losing Ngakwe and Kenny Moore and Isaiah Rogers and on and on, Tyquan Lewis. Uh, so you really had a shell of your defense out there, and I thought it was amazing that they were close to having a franchise record with sacks generated and I never got that feeling that this was a strong pass rush team I guess it just kind of crept up on us and you talked about situationally how about fourth and one I mean a couple of fourth and ones and and maybe they're drafting sixth because uh, we talked situationally they dropped the, the defense gave up four fourth quarter game-winning drives in the last seven games. So this is one where no one pointed fingers in this locker room because everyone was to blame. Everyone was. And we'll see how big the blow-up is in the offseason. We know there'll be a new coach. I think we, we know. We think, well, there'll be a new head coach. We'll see if it's Jeff Saturday or not. But a lot, a lot of changes are coming personnel-wise, I think certainly a quarterback, but everything they did during this season shouted out that they had to make major changes going into the offseason. What does Hancock Health's membership in the Mayo Clinic Care Network mean for you? It means our independent health network now has access to the knowledge and resources of the world leader in medicine. It means your Hancock Health doctor can now consult with Mayo Clinic specialists to confirm a diagnosis or treatment plan. And it means that together we're making health possible for you. Learn more about our new clinical collaboration at HancockRegional.org front slash Mayo Clinic. Need new windows? Contact your hometown team today. Hometown Window and Doors are Central Indiana's premier locally owned full service Anderson window dealer with master installers. From design to installation, the hometown team handles it all. They carry unlimited options with competitive pricing. Call them direct to get 25% off your windows if you call within the next 60 days. Hometown Windows and Doors gives you all the perks of a national brand with a hometown feel. Visit them at hometownwindowteam.com today.
Now, as we enter this offseason, guys, I personally just don't think you can understand where the Colts are without looking back a little ways in a couple seasons. And obviously, the direction, the path that this Colts franchise has been on since Andrew Luck's retirement is really the last real watershed moment in this franchise's history. So Andrew retires, and they start 5-2 and two under Jacoby Brissett that year, which was a really great start. Jacoby gets hurt. He's really not the same down the stretch, and he's hesitant to throw the ball deep all the time anyway. And Adam Vinatieri, unfortunately, has his last season in the NFL. And then you enter the 2019 to 2020 offseason, which is when COVID hits. So 2020 comes along, and you have Phillip Rivers now as your quarterback. So Rivers is your QB. Um, you go to the playoffs, have a pretty darn good year at 11-5. and five. You barely squeak into the playoffs at 11-5. and five. And moving on from Rivers, once he decided he didn't want to come back another year, is another important moment, obviously, with the Colts and where they are now. So after that season, as efficient as Rivers was, he also did not attack downfield at all. And that's something that Frank Reich wanted. And that's something that Chris Ballard wanted. That's something that everyone in the Colts organization wanted, to get a quarterback who could attack the ball, attack downfield better. And you had some really encouraging first signs with Jonathan Taylor at the end of his first year. You figure you have a good running game. They go out and they get Carson Wentz. They pair him with Frank Reich yet again. And to, to me, a really important, like that offseason, there was something really important that happened. Joe, what? Well, in that offseason, off Costanzo also retired as yes. well. Yes, yes. That's important to bring up as well. Thank you. Costanzo retires. I, I, I think my, my first sign of concern with, the leadership and direction of this franchise after Andrew Luck's retirement came that offseason when they decided not to have OTAs, basically, or not to have the minicamp because they had a quarterback coming off a disappointing year, bringing him in, trying to get readjusted to a new community, new team, new players. And I know it was a different time in 2021 and the lingering effects of COVID were still there. But that wasn't something that happened everywhere across the NFL, that people canceled OTAs and voluntary minicamps. A couple teams did it, but it was not widespread, from my recollection. The Colts decided at that point that it was more important to keep everyone at home. And when I say the Colts, I mean Jim Irsay, Frank Wright, Chris Ballard. Those are the three that are making this big decision. The players can go to them all they want and, and ask for that, that time off. If they get told no... If the proper leadership structure tells them, no, you have to come, we need to get this quarterback up to speed with everybody here, then it's a completely different, I think, scenario to start the year when they started one and four because you get to training camp and then Carson hurts his foot and then he's a, a COVID close contact near the end of camp. He just had so little time to prepare and so they started the season so poorly. And it left them with very little wiggle room near the end of the year when they truly did collapse at the end of that year. With, which was everybody's fault. And the franchise, once again, the leadership coming from the top, tried to play pin that on Carson. 
And we know now, looking back, that it was so much more than that. You can still say, you can be much different than my belief that Carson was a very small part of the problem. You can think that he was a bigger part of the problem and still recognize that the leadership structure of the Colts at that time really was playing the blame game to put so much of the blame on him and ignore other problems that have now crept up this year, obvious problems that have crept up this year. So you get rid of Carson, you have no idea what you're going to do at quarterback, and Matt Ryan comes to you. And then all of a sudden, they're singing his praises. They think he's going to be here for two. Jim Irsay, does Jim Irsay say four years that Matt Ryan's going to be here, maybe beyond that, something like that? And and if you listen to us on this podcast, you knew you knew what I was saying, that Matt Ryan had had one good year in his last five seasons in the NFL, one positive year. That was it. And his entire career, he was throwing to multiple Hall of Famers, Tony Gonzalez and Julio Jones, and he was going to come here and throw to who? And those questions, unfortunately, were, were the right questions to ask. And I think we can do, I can say that looking back at the time, that I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I will toot toot. I was more right in this scenario than a lot of the national prognosticators who thought the Colts were one of the favorite teams in the AFC because, hey, Matt Ryan's there and he, and he's, he can turn things around and all that stuff. Matt Ryan comes and things continue to go downhill. Frank Reich is fired. Jim Irsay is making decisions instead of Chris Ballard or Frank Reich because he he sees that there is dysfunction in his organization. And you can you can give him the benefit of the doubt and say he's trying to fix this dysfunction by making some decisions that maybe are not technically in his wheelhouse to make, even though he has the power to make them as owner. But everything just collapses down the stretch under Jeff Saturday. They finish 1-7 under his tutelage, 0-7 in the last seven games. And now the Colts are in the position where, where they're in. To me, like I said, chap, I think you really have to go back all the way to that to that Andrew Luck decision to to fully understand the position the Colts are in now. You have to see these these problems that have that have crept up over the last few years as the clear um, fence posts along the road to where the Colts have wound up, and and understanding all of that has to be paramount in where the Colts move forward from here with a head coach and changing things in-house under Chris Ballard, and maybe he should do things differently here in-house because what has happened under these years, under the post-luck years in Indianapolis, has been nothing short of an utter disappointment for what this franchise has come to expect of itself uh, really since the the turn of the century and the the, the greatness obviously undermanning and, and the positive start to Andrew Luck's career. It, it has been nothing, nothing but really, real, real strong disappointment. I think since then, uh, which is where we find ourselves now. Somehow, and I think these things happen happen gradually. We always, it's always talk about the culture of a team, the culture of a franchise, how it's built so strong. Well, certainly the the Peyton Manning Colts had a great culture. They were a great team, but you can have a good culture, a strong culture and not be a great team or a good team. But this team, somewhere along the way, probably all the way along the way, they kept they kept eroding. Something kept eroding internally, whether it was leadership, whether it was discipline, whether, I don't know what it was. But Chris Ballard talked about this yesterday, and we'll get into it more, but how when things really got close, when things got tight, 
this team's confidence melted away. That was his term. That's that's just a damning critique of your team. And I, I thought what spoke volumes about this team, and we've talked about it, and, but it, it just tells you how this team is built, is when you've got Nick Foles on the floor try, trying to breathe, trying to breathe, and you got the guy who put him there celebrating right next to him, and no one did anything. I'm telling you, back in the in the Jeff Saturday days as a player, somebody would have got thrown out of the game because they would have drilled Thibodeau. They would have. And if, if you go back and listen to, well, Jeff Saturday said, hey, we protect our own. And that's kind of as far as he took it. Well, I'm going to talk to him. Go back and listen to how Chris Ballard answered that question yesterday. And I'm telling you, he, he said the same thing, but he wanted to say so much more. He wanted to take this team to task, wanted to take the offensive line to task. And that's just a snapshot of what's missing. And I don't know if it's as simple as saying the, the, the OTAs and all that. I, I think it was so many things along the way where things just eroded. And here's where we are. And it got to the point the last half of the season where you didn't expect them to make a stop. You didn't expect them to make fourth and one. You expected the worst because that's what they gave you. Good teams, even marginal teams, find ways to win. Bad teams find ways to lose, and, and darn it, this team didn't do that. Yeah, Joe, this um, it, it's it's been you don't you don't go from where the Colts were to where the Colts are like that. You know, it's kind of one step at a time, and I think some of the the frustration is um, is seeing the slow progression from where they were to where they are. And I think the, the, the Thibodeau case that, that, that chat brings up is, is very much a, like it, it's a perfect example of, of where the franchise has fallen because it just is such a juxtaposition. Like he said, from where they were, what would have happened in that scenario a couple years ago to where they are now where, where nothing happens out there and it seems almost blasé. It seems whatever. It's like, okay. And so, so yeah, that's, I guess, uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, <laughs> but Joe's I, like, I, I have I so start? many thoughts. Where do I start? Um, I, I think you're correct. And the, the definitive turning point beyond Andrew Luck retiring, obviously, is the Carson Wentz experiment. And... One guy really disliked Carson Wentz, and that was the most important guy, Jim Irsay. And I think there's a lot of guys in that locker room who did like Carson Wentz. I know Michael Pittman Jr. being one of them, the number one receiver. And so I think maybe the, the you know, this is just speculation. Obviously, without being in that locker room, it's hard to point the finger at what caused some of the erosion of culture. But maybe the, the conflict between the owner and, and what he thought or of the quote-unquote franchise quarterback, the guy you brought in to be here for four, five, six years, kind of kind of created a rift in within that locker room. Um, the other thing is even kind of taking a step back from that. When Andrew Luck retired, this was a team that was built 
to win. I mean, there was so much in place. I'm not going to say everything was in place, but there was a lot in place for this team to win. There's been teams go on runs with less talent. Um, and when he was plucked out of the equation, it, the Colts, understandably so, I get the reasoning, but kind of kept going back to Band-Aids rather than kind of going the patient route to do it the right way to go get your quarterback. Because very rare, there's we've all said it, there's a reason these quarterbacks are available. Um, they're either near the end of their careers, they're past their prime, or because for whatever reason you want to pick out, the original team who had that quarterback has determined that that's not the guy. And so when you do that year after year and just keep putting Band-Aids on the most important position, the position that's not only touching the ball every down, but supposed to be your leader, at least on offense, it's going to have a great effect on the rest of the team. And this year needed to happen. Even if Matt Ryan was decent and brought them to the playoffs and they lost in the first or second round, I don't think anyone thought this was a serious going to be, you know, be able to contend with the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bengals. At the end of the day, for the Colts to get that next guy, that next quarterback, they were going to have to have a bad season to put themselves in this draft position to go get that quarterback because time and time again, we keep saying nothing matters until you find that guy. So here we are with the Colts at the fourth overall pick, 4-12-1. Chicago is first, Houston is second, Arizona is third. When you look at that group, Houston is the only group above the Colts uh, that, that really wants a quarterback. But at the same time, if you're the Colts and you think, well, I think that there are two franchise quarterbacks here. Let's just say for the sake of argument, it's it's Bryce Young and it's C.J. Stroud, chap, the two guys that, uh, that nationally are kind of viewed as one-two. If you go beyond that, whether it's Will Levis, Hendon Hooker, Anthony Richardson, whoever it might be, um, but, <clears throat> but if it's just those two, and even if the Colts say, hey, we think there's two of them, I don't think you can confidently stay put at number four and... Uh, and, and just think, oh, well, somebody will drop to us because Houston's the only team above us who wants a quarterback because there's always the chance that somebody who's currently behind you leaps up into that top four to get a quarterback that they love so much, that, that a price that they're willing to pay. And when Chris Ballard was asked about drafting a quarterback, he said that we have to be right, and, and he said that he would not be opposed to trading a big heap if there is a guy up there that, that that he loves and I, th I think I just personally think that that's what you're going to have to do if there is a quarterback that you love in this draft and we're at the point chap where there has to be a quarterback that the Colts love in this draft it just feels like this has to be the year there's not a chance someone jumps up in front of you it will happen if you sit there you're going to get probably the third best quarterback because people are going to jump up and get that and you know the question is, what are you willing to pay to get that number one pick? For the most part, whatever it takes. And I, I suppose there's got to be something you're not willing to do because back in the day, the Colts gave up an awful lot to get the number one pick and to get Jeff George and to get their left tackle and their best receiver. That's tough. That That's, that, that's hamstringing your quarterback. But it, you're going to have to do almost whatever it takes to get the guy because until, like we said, I hope to get the the right coach. I, I hope he's a motivator. I hope he's a leader. He can do all. But if you haven't got the quarterback, it just doesn't matter. We've seen that forever, not only here but everywhere else. And what drives this too, we've talked about this before, 
what really infuriates everyone is it seems like everybody else has got their quarterback. They see they see Burrow, H- Herbert, Allen, Mahomes. They see these young quarterbacks and they say, "I want one of those." Well, here you are. You've got a chance to get one. And I think the the important dynamic is, again, the Bears don't need one, and you've got a pretty good relationship with the Bears. You really do. And this might be, probably would be picks plus players, probably. But the the problem is other teams probably, from a pick-wise, no no doubt, other teams will have more ammunition pick-wise to jump in front of you. But Kenny, Kenny Moore, DeForest Buckner, it, it would it would really pain Ballard to part with Buck. I'm telling you, it would. He said, was it yesterday? He said, you know, I'd love to have X number of bucks on my team because that's what you want. But you've got to do what you do. They probably had, in hindsight, was it two? Maybe one realistic chance of of, of getting a quarterback in the draft, and was it twenty? That's what, yeah, that's what Ballard said the other day, that 2020 was probably their chance if they wanted to, to, to get a quarterback in the draft. Yeah. So, but, but th- this is the time. It, it, it's one thing for the fan, for the, the, the fan base and the media, but the media, we don't, we don't matter. But to, to be angry with where this team is and the direction when you don't have a direction. And, and that's where anger turns to apathy, and then, and then you're really screwed as a franchise. But if you give them the draft pick, if you give them the quarterback and say, listen, 2023 might be a tough year. You know, it might be record-wise, but this is what we've got. And and as long as you're building towards something and you've got something to build around, I think the fan base is pretty tolerant. But they've got to come out of this draft with, with a quarterback, a, a legit quarterback. And on top of that, we can get to it later. They're going to need another veteran. They're going to need the ne- the next bridge to, to wherever they want to go. But uh, they will do within reason. Not, not within reason. They're going to do whatever it takes to get that first pick. Let's talk about that because you know Houston with their they have two first round picks. The other one's at twelve. They have a lot more, I guess, just pure draft ammunition to move up. And then if Chicago goes back to two. They might be willing to trade again. Chicago needs a lot. They need a lot, and they've got their quarterback. So do the Colts then trade up to two if they value the second quarterback, whether that's Levis or Stroud? I'm assuming at the point right now that Bryce Young goes number one, but that could change things as a draft. They always do. They always do. But, 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 But you better love both of them. Yeah, you're right. If you don't go to one, you better really... Not not Manning Leaf. I mean, we saw how number two worked on that one, but you better be just beyond positive that, that number two is as good as number one, or you got to go to one. You just have to. Like you, you look at different years, and you look back to uh, to the twenty. Uh, what was it? It was the twenty eighteen draft. It was uh, the one where the Colts got uh, Quentin Nelson, Shaquille Leonard, and uh, Braden Smith. So they had it was a really good draft. But that was the it was Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold went uh, up there near the top. And then Josh Allen like fell down to to number seven, and the Bills trade up to get him. And Josh Allen was just such a 
there were opinions from the full range of the spectrum uh, on what Josh Allen could do. And what did the Bills do? They got the right coaching staff to coach him. They got the right guys to tell him what to do. So, like, this this is, chap, a... We, we look at these two things separately, and we have to analyze them in a sense separately, the draft and where the Colts are going with their, their, their head coaching search. But ultimately, those two, are they have to be meshed together. They have to be intertwined together. You have to be completely on the same page between who the next head coach is and how they can coach this next quarterback that's going to come in, or else it could be a failure like both the Browns saw with Baker Mayfield, the Jets saw with Sam Darnold. You need the... Brian Dable as offensive coordinator and Ken Dorsey as quarterback coach, whoever that might be here in Indiana to make whatever quarterback work. Well, t- take it all the way back to, was it 2002 with David Carr when, when the Texans beat the football out of him. So it, it, again, and I, 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 these guys are smart enough to, to know that you, you've got to have the quarterback You've got to have the coach who understands that th- this this is where his meal ticket is. This this is where his career is tied to, and and then and then the next spot is building the offense around him. It, it's seldom does a quarterback come into a really good situation because you're picking number one or two for a reason. Go, go back and look, and this was a little bit different. Go back and look when Peyton Manning came here in '98. Team wasn't very good. Boy, they were loaded on offense. They had the offensive line. They had tackles. They had Marvin Harrison. They had Falk. They, they had tight ends. So the, the guy com- the guy coming in here next year will have some of that, but not all of it. They got and you've got to be you've got to be committed to adding another receiver, making sure your left tackle is good enough, and we'll see if he is. So it takes total commitment by, by the by the franchise, or you're simply wasting your time and players' careers. And, and a sign of total commitment, Joe, would be training up to number one for sure. And really, to get back to your point and your question about moving up to one, if Houston has the two and the 12 right now that they can trade up to one, I think the price for the Colts starts. I think it starts moving up to one with their pick at number four, Kenny Moore and Shaquille Leonard. Like I think that is the floor for what they would trade up to get to number one, because those are two players for Matt Eberflus's defense that he knows work well in his defense. Those are two crucial positions to his defense. And if the Bears move down to four, there's a chance they can draft Jalen Carter there out of Georgia to be that DeForest Buckner, to be that three-technique guy in the middle, and they can have those three key positions on the Eberflus defense, and then they can work their offense whatever they want. But, but that's where I think, like I said, the floor is for getting up to number one if you want to trade your first pick and then two-star players. Other than that, you're going to have to go into picks for next year. You're going to have to go into second, third-round picks. I would say that. Add, add next year's first-round pick on top of that, and that's the floor in my mind. Yeah. I, like I, like I'm trying to be conservative here. I think that yeah. like if you're a Colts fan out there, you have to get in in your head right now. The price is going to be steep, steep, steep to get up to number one. In, in a lot of things I'm hearing from you know obviously not people with the Bears, but Chicago side is the conversation starts at three first round picks, and that might not make as much sense if you're the Colts at four. But the Bears who need so much, there's teams down the list here: Vegas at seven, Atlanta at eight, Carolina at nine. Um, you look at the Jets at 13, 
who could who could give you three first round picks? Trey Lance. It took three first round picks for the 49ers to trade up to get Trey Lance at three. Yep. I knew them they moved up from twelve to three. Three first round picks. And and I understand if you include players at the Bears value put a first round pick value on, then you have to give up less. And I think a big question that it's going to come down to for the Colts in terms of compensation is in their minds, what is their timeline? It, are, are they kind of rebuilding and they're going to be another two to three years out? Because then all of a sudden a DeForest Buckner becomes expendable. He turns 29 this offseason. I get he's got several good years of football left in him. But if you're grooming a young quarterback and not really seriously competing quite yet, those years are going to be wasted here on this defense. You might as well trade them to go get your quarterback. Um, Kenny Moore as well. I mean, Kenny Moore is a good player. I don't think he has any more value around the league than he does in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Uh, and I love Kenny. I love Kenny. He's a very specific fit for a defense. And Matt Eberflus was able to get the most out of him. So I think maybe the conversation with Chicago starts at this year's first, next year's first, Buckner. And Kenny, obviously, maybe Darius is included. I guess it depends on how confident the Bears feel about his health. They weren't willing to pay Roquan Smith, so right. why are they going to pay right. Darius $20 million Good question. When you can't even guarantee that he's going to be on the field. So, uh, uh, um, And then the Bears could always go with the fourth pick and either add, you know, put Carter next to Buckner or Will Anderson out of Alabama or trade down again. The Bears are in a great spot right now. Yeah, the Bears are in the catbird seat, no doubt. Like they're, they're going to be far different next year, and, and they're going to have a whole lot more talent uh, on their roster next year. They will be singing Lovey Smith's praises uh-huh. for years to come. Uh, he, they're going to put just, Rodney Thomas in their ring of honor that's up right. there in Chicago. <laughs> Someone told me Lovey Smith is still a sleeper agent for the Bears. That's what that's what uh, that's what I've been told, indeed. But but I'm completely of the mindset that this needs somewhat of a rebuild. I'm not saying a fire sale, but I've come around to the idea of trading Buckner because you get that young quarterback, you're probably going to be at least two to three years away from seriously competing anyway. So, so do what you got to do to get that star quarterback. Don't degrade the offense, trade away the defensive players. I'm fine with a bad defense. As long as you build up that offense and give your quarterback every chance possible to be successful. Yeah, I've been thinking about that too, Joe, and, and to you, Chap. Like, it, I, I would much rather tra- trade away defensive players than offensive players because you want your quarterback to have the most potential of success possible. So, I, I think overall there are there is no one who is off limits if you're trading up to number one. No one specific player, offense or defense. But but I would much rather, if I was a Colts fan, see a defensive player go rather than offensive players in this in this scenario. Yeah, again, the worst. I, I go back to again '90 when they they get rid of Chris Hinton and Andre Risen, and then that that's part of the reason that that Jeff George didn't fail. Just part of the reason. But yeah, don't don't get rid of your don't don't gut your offense and then wonder why your young quarterback isn't working. And while while I would hate to see Buck go, I think he is an elite defensive tackle, top five, and you could argue where you set him in there. But like Joe said, and like I've mentioned, this will not be a quick turnaround. You know, ideally, in that second year, you'll see something, but not not where you need it to be. So you have to be careful what you get rid of, but only to a point. You know, Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, I wouldn't. 
I know you can get running backs. I know you can get Especially receivers. Especially not Pitt. I, well, and Pitt, boy, they they did him such a disservice this year. Now he didn't help himself by he lacks the great speed and he's doesn't get the great separation. But for a team that couldn't throw the ball down the field, they turned him into Jack Doyle. And that, it, it's great to have Jack Doyle be like seven point nine, but Michael Pittman being like nine point three a catch is ridiculous. Did you find it interesting that Ballard refused to call him a number one during the press conference? Well, he—he—he. He, he, I think it's depending on how you read it. He said he's not elite. He—he, he, but he—he he didn't verify that he's a one. But he said there's a few elite guys. I think he can be a one, but not be elite. I've always had, and I still do, doubts that he's a true one. I think he's like, he would be really, really good if you had a, a, a stud one to go along with him. But, boy, I, I just think he's lacking that top-end speed, and to me that's what a one is. It's a guy that if you're not careful, he'll drop 150 on you. And I just don't know. Maybe, maybe they've soured me a little bit on pit by the way they – not underused him, but just because this is a function of the offense of a, of a bad passing game. I, I hesitated on Ty for several years on him being a one, and he proved me wrong. I'm sort of there with Pitt. I need to see more to think he's a one. And I think that every single Colts fan has seen what a true one receiver is, whether it was with Ty or with Marvin and Reggie before that. Like you can't fool the people here in town as to what is a one receiver or not. There, there is no pulling the pulling the wool over their eyes. Like you know, and and Pitt, you don't know whether he is yet. That that's just that's just the truth. And, and I thought this last year would have been crucial in in his in his development. And and Joe, you mentioned earlier about Pitt and Carson Wentz. There was no one I think on this roster that was more disappointed to see uh, Carson Wentz go than Pitt because he got the ball a lot. He got the ball deep a lot. That was a great relationship between those two that they had. Like, it worked between them. And this year, Pittman did not, was not able to show his full skill set. He, he just wasn't. There's, there's no other way to say it, that he was truly handicapped, as was this entire offense, by, by, by the quarterback, by the offensive line, by the lack of a running game, by, by everything. So it, it was it, it was a horrible season for Pittman to have right before the last year of your contract when you're going in to negotiate a new deal. Yeah, and, and they couldn't even get him one more catch and, so he and, could get and, to 100. And they couldn't even throw him a freaking bubble <laughs> screen, a, a touch pass. Yeah, It, it would have been spoon-feeding, but they spoon-fed Reggie and Dallas Clark in 2009. I think Dallas Clark got his 100 catch on a, on a, on a minus seven-yard catch. It can be done, and I realize he had other opportunities and all that. But holy smokes, get your guy one more, no matter how cheesy it would have been. Need new windows? Let the hometown team help. Hometown Windows and Doors is Central Indiana's premier locally owned full-service Anderson dealer with master installers. From design to installation, we handle it all, carrying nationally known brands like Anderson with more options and competitive pricing. Call us direct and get 25% off your windows if you buy within the next 60 days. Please contact your hometown team today. We are Central Indiana's premier locally owned full-service Anderson dealer. National brand, hometown feel. The story of Hancock Health is all about you and everything you need to live your healthiest life. Like Hancock Regional, one of the nation's safest hospitals. 
and an independent health network with over 70 doctors at more than 30 locations around East Central Indiana. We're growing and evolving to help further your story. And we're just getting started. See all the ways Hancock Health and you can work together to make health possible at HancockHealth.org. Let's yeah. turn our attention uh, for the rest of our podcast to the head coaching search because uh, we, we've already talked so much. I do want to get, give some time to this. Um, Jeff Saturday did speak with the media on Monday after finishing off uh, his time as interim head coach. The only thing he'll be now is head coach. That interim tag will be gone. Um, and Jeff says that he still wants the long-term head coaching job. He says he has a clear vision of how to turn the team around. And uh, he said also, Chap, that like you, you could you could be – more the uh, the pessimistic side and say that he was making excuses for going one and seven down the stretch. You could be more the uh, understanding side and say that, well, he came on midseason. There's not a whole lot he can do. And that's kind of the, the line that he was feeding the media. That's the line that Chris Bauer was feeding the media that you really don't want to make too many changes. So su- suffice to say, if Saturday gets the job, things will be markedly different. But he showed he showed, physically showed, actually with results showed, no reason why he should be the head coach in the future. And, and I don't want to sugarcoat that at all because that's really kind of what both he and Ballard were hinting at in this week's press conference, that what he has done in the past is not going to be that important. It's going to be the vision he can cast for the future because he wasn't able to do all that much, so they say, this year to turn things around. So I, I, I think that the 1-7 record... In their minds, at least what they're saying is not all that relevant. From my perspective, like I said, it really didn't show show much of what he can do. They, they talk about him being a leader, but the defense went from giving 20 points a game to 30 points a game. The team collapsed down the stretch. We said earlier that in the most important moments, they they found themselves lacking. Like To me, those are signs that, that leadership was lacking somewhat on this team and, and, and that things were not right down the stretch. I'm, I'm not putting everything on Saturday because I think the weight of the season really got to everyone on this team, but I also didn't see things that they're alluding to that Jeff showed, showed great leadership. And I'm sure there's things that behind the scenes that are, we are not privy to that, that he did, that he tried, tried to strive to hold players accountable here and there. But at the same time, when you look at actual tangible results on the field, Saturday was one and seven with a team that kept collapsing week after week and led to one of the most disappointing finishes to the season in franchise history. Yeah, it 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 was like listening to to Jeff and Chris Ballard. It was like the 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 old Dallas series on who shot Jr. That is what didn't it end up being that it was all made up? I mean, it was all a dream. It was all a dream, and that's what they're saying here is don't, don't spoiler alert. Don't pay attention to what you, you, you just watched for the last two months. And I think Chris was actually asked, what were the improvements? You know, what do you point to? And he mentioned, like you said, the behind the scenes, how you handle the day-to-day and the practices and, and running the team and interaction, which is fine. But they fired Frank Reich because he had a bad record and they didn't like the direction of the team. And it will be very, very I was going to say difficult, but interesting. If Jeff Saturday's the head coach, I want to hear Jim Ursay sit up there that day and say, this is our head coach, and this is why. I just don't know how they do it. And I think deep down, 
Jim Irsay really, really wants Jeff Saturday to be his head coach. At some level, he does. Now, has that lessened recently? I don't know. But I just, what's going to look even worse, and we're talking optics here, is you're going to bring in four, five, six guys, and you guys will talk about this in a minute, and, and they've got resumes. I mean, they've done things. And I, I realize Jeff doesn't hasn't had the time, but he, he also doesn't have the resume. So I'm interested to see how they go. And I, I thought early on that they really, really wanted Jeff to be their head coach. I still sort of think that, but I just don't know how you sit there and say, and this is why. This is a guy that we want. He's a great leader. He's a great motivator. He's a great person. He simply doesn't have the chops yet to be a, a, a good head coach because he hasn't had the opportunity. Speaking to players, Joe, in the locker room, uh, they a bunch of them were very positive about about Jeff Saturday. And, and to be honest, that's that's what you would expect of guys coming out of a season like that and trying to, to rally around the guy. I, I wouldn't see anybody talking bad about <laughs> about the interim head coach uh, here down the stretch uh, of the season. But you got like Ryan Kelly, DeForest Buckner, Shaquille Leonard all, all said positive things about him. Uh, Chris Ballard admitted he's going to be a candidate. Definitely talked about some of his said he had reservations that he expressed to Jim Ursay when Saturday was taking over the job just because it was an unprecedented situation um, that, that they were throwing Saturday into. But but now I think a lot of it comes to the vision that he can cast a, a, in front of both Chris Ballard and, and Jim Ursay when it comes to these um, these interviews because he's going to get his chance, and he's going to get his chance to say what he would do differently. He's going to get his chance to say what is going wrong inside the building, behind the scenes. Um, and, and like Chap said, uh, the, the, the most powerful man in, in that building uh, holds Jeff Saturday very close to his heart. So he is going to have, in that sense, a leg up on other candidates. Other candidates are going to have to match and exceed Jeff Saturday's vision because of Jim Irsay's love of him as a person and as a leader. Yeah, and it, it, it's so hard to talk about this in my mind because we could go through all this, they could interview – you know, 20 different coaches, and at the end of the day, Jim Merce could just go, nah, I like Jeff Saturday, which is basically what he did when he hired him in the first place. Yep. Um, so it's very tough. I, I will say, to me, some of the players' words re- really kind of struck me, especially Buckner talking about just, He said, quote, just the culture and the accountability he brought to the team over the last eight weeks of the season was tremendous. Uh, Kelly said, I don't think you can have Jeff with the current staff. The current staff was all Frank guys. Constant reminder of what used to be here. Uh, Leonard spoke up with them and said, you got to understand he was brought in week 10. Um, he, he didn't know the coaches from a can of paint. So they very well illustrated everything working against Jeff Saturday. And there was a lot. Yeah. There was a lot. And I do think it is important, especially for a lot of your best players. We'll see how many are going to be back next year. I mean, we just talked about shipping half these guys off a minute ago. We did. But – that's easy for us to do. It is. Sh- sh- it is. Shipping players away. We, we, we're good at that. We can do it with just a, <laughs> yeah, just a flick of the wrist and say, yeah, whatever. But the first thing is the players have to be bought in and like him. And at least from their words, it sounds like several of the you know leaders on this team are. The second thing that's going to be huge in this is who can he bring in to be offensive 
and defensive coordinator and special teams coordinator. And that's going to be big for any coach, up, you know, interviewing for a head coaching job is who are you going to bring in? Who's going to be the rest of your staff? But especially for Jeff, who doesn't have that experience, he's not going to be one grooming a young quarterback. He might groom a young left tackle like Ryman or something like that. But he's going to have to bring in people who he can count on to really run the X's and O's in, in the techniques while he focuses more on the culture and accountability and performs more of the CEO role. How many guys are one going to – I get there's a limited number of jobs, but from the – the poop show, I'll put it, that's been the Indianapolis Colts over the past year and a half. How many guys are going to jump at this opportunity? I don't know. When you go, go ahead, chap. Go ahead. Yeah, one, one thing, and it's great if the players like the coach. That's great. But what what is so imperative is that the head coach and the GM get along. I mean, they have to. I mean, we saw they somehow Polian and Dungey worked. I mean, it's still one of the amazing th- things that have happened in NFL history that they worked. It worked, but the odd couple. But go, go yeah. But go go back to the introdu- introductory press conference with with Jeff Saturday. How Chris Ballard said we had was it strident discussions? I think was the discussion was what he said, and that he that he was that he he mentioned to Jim Irsay how unprecedented it was. He he was not in favor of bringing in Jeff Saturday, probably because he was not in favor of firing Frank. But the the head coach and the GM have got to be in lockstep. And the way Chris told us yesterday is he will lead the head coaching search, but Jim Irsay will have the final say, which is the way it should be. It's his team and all that. But you better be darn sure that the guy that you hire as head coach can – there's got to be a better phrase and get along with, but have the same vision of how a team operates and the roles and all that, or this won't work. Speaking of, I think uh, this guy right here who the Colts are interviewing for the head coaching role shows who Chris Ballard would have made interim head coach. That would be Bubba Ventro, and reports are today that he's going to be the first really interview here that he's going today as we speak on uh, Wednesday as we tape this podcast, uh, interviewing for the head coaching role. Uh, other than him, the Colts have requested permission reportedly to interview several other coaches. Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris, Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson, and defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn. Uh, Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen. And Broncos defensive coordinator Ijero Ivero, all of them players that the Colts have requested to interview so far. Those are a couple of initial names. Chap Chris Ballard says that he wants to take his time with this. He doesn't care if he goes into mid-February, which, heck, Frank didn't come in here until mid-February because of the whole McDaniel situation. And Frank, uh, at that time, wasn't even taking interviews because the Eagles were on their way to a Super Bowl championship and he wanted to focus on that. So he wouldn't have interviewed anyway uh, until after the Super Bowl was over. I think Chris went through that scenario and realized, okay, we can wait. We can be patient. We can still put together a a great draft and a a great team uh, the next year if you have the right pieces available. Um, so, So I wouldn't be surprised if this is just the beginning. If they keep going and look at like, uh, if you're looking at guys who have coached young quarterbacks, you look at Brian Callahan as the offensive coordinator in Cincinnati, who's been with Joe Burrow. 
You look at Ken Dorsey, who's the offensive coordinator in Buffalo, who's been with Josh Allen. Uh, if you want more defensive guys, D'Amico Ryans keeps coming up as an offensive, as a defensive coordinator, rather the, the 49ers uh, player. You look at Leslie Frazier, who's been a head coach before, who's the Bills defensive coordinator. There are so, so, so many people who have experience, unlike Jeff Saturday, and uh, and and who will certainly be it certainly are, I think, in this in this cycle, in line for head coaching interviews, and and, and it's the Colts' duty to really uh, dive into all of them. Yeah, the one the one caution I've always had on getting that hot offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator is he's not bringing his guys with him. That that's you got to be careful that that they, they could be a great they probably are a great coordinator, but the job's a lot easier when you got Josh Allen and and Joe Burrow and and you got all pros playing defense for you. So, but one thing about the Colts is if they find out early in the process that this is who they want, I'm not saying Jeff. I'm just saying anybody. Then sort of go ahead and get go ahead and do it. If there's two or three guys that you're kind of hot on or, or or whatever, you know maybe that guy goes somewhere else. So you know you always risk losing the guy you want if you wait. But if it takes that long, it takes that long. You know, this this isn't like free agency with players to where if you if you snooze, you lose. So I, I I do think that this will take a while unless unless they just know who they're going to hire and you know, like Joe said, now nah, we're going to go this way, <laughs> which I don't think they'll do. I think this is going to take a while. It'll drive us and the fan base crazy. Uh, but but that you, you've. It, you got to get it right. You know, you, you got to get it right. And sometimes it takes longer than what fans and the outsiders want to get it right. But you got to get the right guy. Yeah, Joe, you, th- this is an offseason where the Colts have to get it right twice. They, they need the right head coach. And then, of course, he needs to put together his entire staff. That needs to be right. And they need to get the right quarterback. I'll, I'll, I'll mend something I said earlier, like saying the, this needs to be the season that the Colts get the quarterback or draft a quarterback. Maybe not draft a quarterback, but get a quarterback. If it's not Bryce Young, it's Lamar Jackson. You know, if you can swing that somehow, then then I'm fine with that. But that means are you, three hundred million you, dollars you, guaranteed. Are you starting over next. something here? No, I'm not starting anything. I, I'm just saying that Colts that, fans have already started it on Twitter, from what I've exactly. Seen. I exactly. No, I, but, I, I but, believe yeah. I believe Derek Carr is going to be available. No, please <laughs> no. Joe's just like please no. Jimmy Garoppolo will be available again, probably for the 18th season in a row. That's so that's not long term. That's like three years. I mean, I, yeah, I I know. And Jim Irsay, Aaron Rodgers. I saw somebody sent out some odds. One of these Vegas guys, and the Colts are second on the list to acquire Aaron Rodgers. So deal with that. I, I'd, I'd rather not. I, I know, right? I'd rather not too. So. It's up to Chris Ballard and Ed Dodds and that entire front office to get to to get your quarterback to to find who you want and then to go get him. Uh, if it's in the draft, if maybe Chicago, I've heard reports that they might be thinking about trading Justin Fields. If they are truly wowed by one of the quarterbacks in this draft, you get Fields, you get Lamar Jackson. I don't know, but but th- this has got to be the season where you get the guy. And the first year is going to be probably rocky. You have to stick with the guy. You've got to maintain consistency from year to year. That's something we've heard from players as to, like, we, we ask them what's going wrong from year to year, and they keep saying the same thing. Well, you change quarterbacks every year, 
You have to stop the carousel. It has to stop. You have to pick a guy. You have to stay with the guy. You have to build with a head coach and a quarterback and an offensive coordinator from one year to the next and improve from one year to the next. Figure out what works well. Even if there are lumps, even if you have issues, you have to go into the next year. You have to stick with it, not cut bait and go on, push on and try to reach your potential. And quit talking about multiple Lombardi trophies. Yeah. Because, I agree. because yes, that's the ultimate goal. It's not helping. It, it's not. And what we've seen, and this came up in, in Chris Ballard's press conference too, and, it, and it's 100% accurate. This team, as it is built, does not handle attaboys. It doesn't. It, it, it handles one and five and one and four and fighting your butt off to get back in it. It does not handle being a favorite. And why that is, I don't know, but it doesn't. I'll tell you right now, the, there's there's no one who's thinking of the Colts as a favorite right now. So they're they're four twelve and one, and entering a, a season that we will see some significant changes, no doubt, to the roster, to the coaching staff. And uh, at, at this time in early May, when they gather uh, this year, rather in early May, when they gather for for rookie mini camps, that is going to be a, a a thrilling time, I think, to be a Colts fan because you're going to have gone through free agency, you're going to have gone through the draft, and at that time, that then it's it's optimism looking forward. Even if you're going to go through some lumps, you, you have a clear vision of what's happening in the future. And now, chap, we're at the point where we're trying to figure out the vision. So there's a lot of hey, wait and see, be patient. But hey, we're still going to be here on the Colts Blue Zone podcast online at Colts Blue Zone uh, on Twitter to to really kind of guide you through the process. And over the next couple months, nothing tells you that you're sort of just kind of hovering in that everyone is convinced that your starting quarterback next September is not on the roster. You know, Ryan's not going to be here. Foles isn't going to be here. Probably Sam will be probably, but it's a, it's a complete reboot and it, they need a reboot and it has to happen this off season. We appreciate you listening to this version of the Colts Blue Zone podcast. The off season is here, and I think we might make Wednesdays consistent looking forward through this offseason. That's what we've done in the past, so we'll, we'll see between Wednesday and Thursday, but we'll be sure to let you know once again online uh, on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone what our plans are throughout the week and uh, stay updated there for Colts, Colts news and notes throughout the week. And, hey, we're at the point right now with the head coaching search. There's going to be stuff that probably comes out on the daily or, or on the hourly about uh, who's going to be uh, interviewed here, there, and everywhere uh, in the search and what the Bears want to do at number one. That's going to be fun over the next couple weeks to see if the Colts do uh, have uh, the, the, the ammo to compete with the other teams to move up. Uh, really looking forward to, to these next couple weeks of Colts coverage, and we, uh, we hope you guys join uh, us uh, along the way as well. You can follow Mike Chappell on fox59.com, cbs4indy.com. Get his articles there. Also on Twitter, at mchappell51. Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths, at DaveG underscore sports. We'll see you next week on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. <laughs>